Hello, and welcome to another Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Today, we will be discussing different ways to get started with investing in real estate. Not everyone has cash in large enough amounts to invest, right? Wrong. Let's start by discussing a couple of ways to get some capital or cash to invest. We discussed wholesaling in the last podcast. We talked about finding deals, writing contracts on them, and then passing them on to other investors for thousands. Do this a few times and you will have the money down required, even with poor or no credit. Getting and selling options is another way to make money for those down payments. 20% down is a good rule for investment properties. We will discuss getting options in great detail in another podcast. But for now, let's say you only have a little bit of money, 1000 to 5000 even, 15 or 20k, but not enough to really make an impact unless you start getting creative and finding another way to make your money work for you. You can buy into pre-foreclosures. This is where a homeowner is so behind on their mortgage that they are literally about to lose their house. If a huge amount is not paid immediately, 10 to 20,000 usually, we will discuss pre-foreclosures and how to lock up these contracts in the future. Another way to get in and start investing with little or no money down is to partner up. I have partnered up on many deals over the years. It is a great way to cut your costs in half and double productivity. Uh, before you get into partnering up, tell me about a pre-foreclosure. I know what a foreclosure is. What's a pre-foreclosure? Okay, so a pre-foreclosure, they have not gone into foreclosure yet, but they are being sent nasty letters talking about all the consequences that happen with being thrown out of your house, being displaced, owing many, many thousands of dollars and having it hit your credit, to say the very least. So instead of that, while it's still in the phase of getting letters in the mail and can be saved, they're just demanding, hey, pay this balloon payment. You owe me 20 grand. You owe me however much money. This needs to be paid immediately. Pay it or we're going to foreclose on you is basically what a pre-foreclosure is. So people never have that kind of money. If they're in those predicaments where they haven't paid it, generally it's because they didn't have it. So in this case, what you're going to want to do is listen all around you for someone to say, hey, I've got this situation, I know this friend, or I heard about this at the bank, or wherever you heard it, at church or through whomever, that this person is going through this struggle. They're fixing to be foreclosed on, they owe this much money, and that's when my ears perk up. And I say, ooh, that's a great opportunity to buy into a deal that could land me with a house. And by buy-in, you mean pay that balloon payment. Correct. So they have a balloon coming up, or maybe they've defaulted already a little bit. And then now you're saying, hey, that big balloon of 10K, I'll invest in it. Correct. And then charge interest and get that money back. Correct. What you're basically doing is taking a number two mortgage position on their deed. You are putting a lien against the property if necessary. You can actually do it in the very beginning as well. But either way, you are getting an interest in that property just by doing the contract with them, and now the person owes you this much money back. So are those deals something you, you mentioned, you know, maybe overhearing somebody mention it. Is there any way to kind of seek these out, or you really just have to keep your ears open? Both. Um, there are ways to seek them out. I go to my local banks all the time. 
and I ask to speak to the people who are in the foreclosure department, and I give them my card, I tell them who I am and what I do, and I tell them to call me if they have any type of anything that comes across their desk that would meet my criteria and theirs. And of course, I get those phone calls pretty regularly. Well, yeah, as someone who would would like to start investing, I don't have $60,000 to buy a house and make it into a rental. And uh, well, you mentioned partnering up, so maybe maybe I'll, I'll, I'll need a partner for that. But this sounds like a, the pre-foreclosure sounds like a good way to start with a low amount of money if you can find someone who is just needing 10000 Correct. Uh, all you're trying to do here is find your best way to get in where you're at. If you only have 5000 then it's a really good idea to find a deal that's a $5,000 deal or to find a way in with only your 5000 that you have. If you can't do that and the minimum in is 10 partner up. Okay, and I have a perfect story that leads into this about partnering up. I was at a place in my life where I had a little bit of money to invest and knew about a property that was going to be almost in my price range, but I was absolutely unable to do the remodeling by myself, and I needed a little bit more money to be able to accomplish the deal. So the deal was this. My grandfather was going to sell his house to me. And he only wanted to charge me $18,000, which was what, you know, the original, I guess, that he owed on it. And he didn't think that it was fair to sell it to anyone for more than the original mortgage was. He was very old-fashioned. And, of course, he wanted to cut me a deal. So I wrote a contract with him and agreed to buy the house at his price and then, of course, fix it up. So we did purchase the house for the I think it was sixteen or $18,000 plus closing costs, and I partnered up so that I would have somebody to give me the extra $5,000 I needed to close and somebody to buy all of the materials and do all of the remodeling. And that was my 50-50 partner. It just so worked out that with the math that it would be 50-50 in the long run once he invested his time and his materials and his know-how. So... We partnered up. We remodeled the entire place. We gutted everything. We tore out the bathrooms, tore out the master, tore apart the flooring, tore apart the drywall, redid the electricity, the plumbing. I mean, everything top to bottom, the roof. Um, And it was a brand new house inside and out once we were done. We invested, I want to say, another 10 grand when it was all said and done. So we had maybe 28 in it, again, including closing costs and other incidentals, taxes and whatnot. And then, of course, sold it for a thirty-seven or $38,000 profit just a few short weeks afterwards when everything was said and done. If I had not partnered up, I don't think I could. In fact, I know I could not have done that deal. Partnering up in this case made it go smoother, go faster. And, of course, gave me the leverage and the money to stay afloat in the meantime. I'm making two assumptions. One is that you got this deal some time ago and that your grandfather must have been fairly old when he, like 80s or 90s, when he made you this uh, sweetheart deal. Yes. um, This was probably 15 years ago. My grandfather was moving out of his house. He had lived there for, you know, 30, 40 years, retired there. My grandmother passed away there. And he, it was just him by himself. 
he, of course, became um, unable to care for himself, went into an old person's home, and it became the family's responsibility to then sell the house and use that money to care for him, which is what they did. But still, the, that deal sounds more like it was 35 years ago, but I guess you're not that old. No, I'm definitely not. Again, I've, I find the deals. I know where to find the deals. <laughs> My very first property was acquired with none of my own money or my own credit. I partnered with an investor that I met through a friend. I pitched my deal to him, explaining the 20K that I needed to buy and close the deal. Then I explained how I was going to get materials and finish fixing it, and then rent it out to pay the investor back. In the event that I didn't pay in full, as promised, he would get the home worth over 60K the way it sat. Of course he wanted to partner with me. I'm sure he was hoping that I would mess up somewhere and he would end up with my rental. But alas, I paid him as promised and he made really good money off of the deal also. My tenants paid him over 10 grand in interest and I never paid one cent out of pocket for the deal. That rental house, and I still own it. Another time I heard about a double wide home that was in terrible shape but on five acres in a really great area. I met with the owner and negotiated a deal for 5,000. I wrote the contract, I closed in less than a week, and I still needed a ton of fixing. So at that point, I negotiated a cut of the profit in exchange for fixing it. The total rehab was 10K, and the profit when I flipped it was 37,000 in a down market in 2009. Next, let's talk about tax sale properties. The county keeps a list of everyone who is severely behind on their property taxes. They will email you this list prior to every tax sale at the courthouse steps. You will have a day or so in order to investigate each property. They are pennies on the dollar. You must bring cashier's checks, which are certified funds, with you to the auction. But you are paying instead of 60 to 200,000, maybe 1 to 20 grand. The caveat you don't fully own the property for 12 months, while the tax default owner can still pay you the full amount plus 20% in interest. After that, if they have not paid you, the property is yours. After, of course, you do some filing and send things in the newspaper to say that the property is now going into your name. So tax sales sound almost as good as your uh, grandfather's sweetheart deal to you. Yes, tax sales are an incredible way to get properties. The only downside is that you have to wait the 12 months, but they are an incredible way to get in for almost no money down. 5000 10000 usually is the range to get yourself an entire house when it's all said and done. And worst case scenario, you're still making 20% interest. Now, I will say this, before you get started, you may want to do a little bit of research. Don't go first time thinking that you're going to do a tax sale, get one right then and there, bid on them at the auction, and be successful. I would say you probably need to go to two or three auctions and just sit there and watch and listen and see what everybody else is doing, see what gets bid on and what does not, and kind of get familiar how, with how the process works. I have a what if uh, for you to analyze. 
my mother was talking to my sister in her new home in Gilmer County at Thanksgiving, and I was barely listening. So I know she has a property next door to her that hasn't been paid on. I think there's someone squatting in it uh, who who has a mortgage, who hasn't paid on the mortgage. So let's assume he hasn't paid on the taxes. How would I find that out? Okay, so what you're going to want to do is in the county that that property is in, you're going to call the county's tax commissioner and you're going to ask them, hey, does this person, does this owner at this address owe anything on their property taxes? If so, how much do they owe and for how many years? And they will give you the details because it is public records. If if they only owe a couple thousand, I decide to, I can, as an individual, pay those taxes at the auction, right? Correct. It goes up for auction at a certain point. Once all of the paperwork has been done, once they have done the legal matters to try to find the debtor, make sure that this person has been served, make sure that they have done everything they can to get them to pay the property, then it goes up for auction at the courthouse steps. And usually for only a few thousand, whatever the taxes are owed is where the bidding starts. That's, of course, where the bidding starts. In small counties, there's nobody there. There's only a few people, and the people who are there are usually only there to bid on the property that they're interested in. Usually not your property, in fact. So there's not a ton of bidding up in some cases. In other large cities like Atlanta, there's a lot of people bidding each other up, and it gets very frantic. And so you could easily get up to, you know, five, ten, fifteen grand for a property before you even know it. Not to say that that happens every time, but it happens a lot in the larger cities. Still, fifteen grand for a house is way less than a hundred. So the auction is really just to pay off those taxes, which get, which gets your name on that property. Then you have to wait the twelve months. Correct. What those those taxes get is an interest in the property. Once you've paid on a property, once you've put a lien on a property, once you've done something to a property, even as a contractor, let's say a contractor comes in and puts a roof on your house and you agree to pay the contractor, but then you don't. You just say, F you, I'm not doing it. So he's not going to take the roof off of your house. He's going to go down to the courthouse and put a lien on your house and force it into sale so that he gets his money back. Subject two is getting a lot of buzz lately. This means you make an offer on a property that already has a mortgage owed. You would pay their remaining balance on the mortgage and not get a new loan for a higher amount. You'll want to find ones with low mortgage versus high home value, built in equity so that you can begin to burr immediately. Well, in the case of my mom's neighbor, I believe that the guy who's living there now paying the mortgage or in his case not paying the mortgage picked up the mortgage from his mother so it's his name but i think you mentioned sub 2 that's exactly what that case is right he picked up a mortgage stopped paying the mortgage stopped paying the taxes correct now in this case if there is a mortgage on it usually the escrow for that particular mortgage will pay those taxes and keep them up to date, keep them, you know, paid on time so that the only first lien position is the mortgage itself. That way nothing else comes first except for getting the mortgage paid. In this case, 
um, let's say, for example, he's not paying the mortgage, they'll, the mortgage will pay the taxes. And then once the taxes are paid, the mortgage will get foreclosed on and they will get their money back through selling the property. But if I step in and purchase the taxes, or I'm sorry, pay the taxes, I might have a shot. Yes. If the taxes are unpaid, you can step in and pay the taxes at auction. Only once it goes to auction can you pay those taxes. You can't just step in and pay another person's taxes just by walking in the office and saying, hey, I want to pay on so-and-so down the street's taxes. No, you can't do it that way unless you're just being a giving, loving person and you're paying their taxes for them, you'll never get that money back. It has to be done at the auction in order to proceed and have it be possibly yours in the future. So if it's not paid off, the mortgage company probably is still feeding, I'm sorry, taking care of that tax. Correct. If there's a mortgage on the house, chances are the mortgage company is going to keep the taxes paid. Maybe not exactly on time, but they're going to get it paid. And that is just so the mortgage can then go ahead and foreclose on the property. I would say in this case, don't watch the taxes so much, but watch and see when it goes into foreclosure and then try to negotiate directly with the bank, maybe a short sale or maybe just negotiating with them off the records and doing something with them, maybe assuming the mortgage. There's lots of ways to skin that cat, but that would be in the future with foreclosure. Okay, so tell me about a sub two that's taking over a mortgage where, like I said, in this case, it was a mother-son. It doesn't always have to be that way, though, does it? No, it does not always have to be like a mother-son situation. I can tell you a situation that is currently going on, in fact. Um, Subject two is basically this. You go ahead and take over someone else's mortgage without telling the mortgage company that the mortgage is being taken over by someone else. You just go ahead and pay the mortgage and just pay it off. And, you know, everything goes as if it was the original person paying for it, but only they're not. Now it's someone else. And the perfect example that I have is my son and daughter-in-law just got approached by her mother saying, hey, I'm going to move out of my house. I'm going to go and live with my boyfriend, who I'm marrying. We just got engaged. I'm moving to Helen. I want my daughter to have this house. It's going to her anyway when I pass. So I'm going to go ahead and let her have it. But they have to buy it subject to my existing mortgage, which means they have to agree to pay the payments and keep them on time in order for this deal to go through. All you do basically in this case is you write up a contract agreeing to buy the property, agreeing to the price of the mortgage and the payments, and you're buying it subject to the original mortgage that's taking place until it's gone. In this case, only four and a half years. That's exactly what my ex-wife and her boyfriend have done. I just didn't realize that's what it was called. So it's not an illegal thing. He's just writing his checks to... The mortgage company, the mortgage company doesn't care that it's, in, that it's from someone else's bank account because the mortgage is being paid. The deal is between this couple. Correct. The deal is between the two parties, and as long as the mortgage is being paid, I can assure you they do not care how the mortgage gets paid as long as it gets paid and gets paid on time. That's sometimes, if you're dealing with family and Um, not an arm's length transactions where you're dealing with friends or, hey, I found out about this sweet deal from my neighbor. Those are sometimes the best ones to get 
subject to something that's already existing, subject to their low interest rates, subject to their a huge amount of equity that's in the home because they owe very, very little. Any other questions? So my ex-wife's boyfriend is maybe being a nice guy, but he's also an investor. That is correct. The Burr method is when you buy a rental, you then repair or renovate, you then rent it out, and then you refinance. With that money, you turn around and reinvest in another rental, and soon you repeat. So this is the Burr method, the B plus lots of R's. So the Burr method is not named after Mr. Burr. It's B and a bunch of R's, like five R's, yes, right? Yes, that's the Burr method, B. B is for buying the rental. Then once you buy it, you usually have to repair or renovate. That's the first R. Then you rent it out. That's another R. Then you refinance, another R. Then with that money, once you have refinanced, you, of course, reinvest. So B, R, 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 R. And that is what makes the Burr method the proven successful method for a lot of real estate investors that I deal with. Much like the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Yes. One more thing that I will throw out before I say goodbye for today is my number one top Jedi secret of getting into real estate investing quickly with almost no money down is to buy options. Almost everyone that I come into contact with, including seasoned brokers, professional investors, and real estate gurus alike, have never heard of options. I purchase one whenever possible in order to get my foot in the door and to beat out other competitors. We'll have to break down options more in the future, but we will discuss exactly what they are, how to get one, and what you can do with them. That's all I have time for today, but be sure to tune in next time and get more info about investing, real estate, and how to get those options.